Blog Talk Radio. You have just connected to the incredible, the awesome Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. I'm your host, Robert Rogers, the founder of Parkinson's Recovery in 2004. Parkinson's Recovery provides a host of free services to individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's as well as their family members. We host guests on our radio show here, which is free to access, and all shows are archived for later replay listening, who comprise a variety of different backgrounds. Some have Parkinson's disease, and they talk about how they've reversed their symptoms. Others are healthcare professionals, researchers, and journalists. My guest today is very special and very famous, I might add. Scott Carney is an investigative journalist and anthropologist. He regularly appears on a variety of radio and television stations from National Public Radio to National Geographic TV and many, many others. His background, I must say, is quite, quite fascinating. He first traveled to India while he was a student at Kenya College in 1998 and spent six years living there. Along the way, he learned Hindi and twice drove a motorcycle across the country. In 2004, he received his Master's of Arts in Anthropology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He currently lives in the wonderful city of Denver, Colorado. Scott recently released this most amazing and fascinating book titled, What Doesn't Kill Us? Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to be a guest on Parkinson's Recovery Radio today. Great. Thank you so much for having me. So, the book, What Doesn't Kill Us, what motivated you to write a book with that title? Uh, well, you know, I, uh, well, the title is my wife's invention after we've gotten pretty far along the book process. But it, it all started with me, uh, uh, you know, surfing around on the Internet. And, and I came across this, uh, this article, like a pretty short article about Wim Hof, who's this Dutch sort of fitness guru who was running a training camp in Poland making some pretty outrageous claims. He said that he could control his body temperature at will uh, and, and you know, consciously affect his immune system uh, and, you know, to ramp it up or turn it off if he, if he wanted to. And, and I thought these claims were pretty outrageous. Um, I had just written uh, – sorry, I was in the process of writing a book about a, a guru – who had made similar sort of miraculous claims, uh, and his claims ended up in, in some people dying in the deserts of, of Arizona uh, while they were trying to sort of accumulate uh, superpowers for themselves. So when I actually went out to meet Wim Hof uh, in, in the middle of the winter in, in Poland, my idea was that I was going to debunk another charlatan. I was going to find someone who was offering sort of crank medical advice uh, at, you know, at a high cost, and you know, ended up you know, uh, providing nothing in return. Uh, but you know, as an anthropologist, as an investigative journalist, as somebody who believes that that people deserve a fair shot, um, uh, I also said that I would I would you know try his method and sort of watch it fall apart uh, as I as I underwent it. And you know, the thing that was 
miraculous to me is a guy who was at the point living in Los Angeles in a very warm area, you know, living in India in a very warm environment. I learned in the course of five days uh, to be able to sit in this frigid snow in the middle of the winter that stopped the Nazi army and melted around me with my body heat. I ended up climbing up a Polish, like a mountain in Poland, a, a ski hill, uh, and, and, and uh, at eight hours at, at about two degrees Fahrenheit and ended up sweating the whole way up. And, and it seems that his, his claims uh, didn't fall apart. It, it, it turns out that he was able to, to sort of unlock certain evolutionary powers uh, that, that the human body just has latent in it. And he was able to do it for me very quickly. Well, that's yeah. a fascinating story, Scott. <laughs> so... Are you saying then that what he's purporting, which is cold is good for you, is a good idea? Yes, absolutely. And I think it comes down to uh, a quirk in human evolution. You know, if you think about where our body comes from, uh, our species is about 200,000 years old. And before that, we had various other iterations of other species that go all the way back 3 billion years. And in that time, our bodies were always subject to the natural variations of the environment. Uh, you know, in, even in the equatorial regions of Africa where we started, there would be huge temperature swings in, in day and night. And then as we emerged out of Africa into the Middle East and into Europe, Asia, then uh, the New World, uh, our, we did this with only a whisper of what any of us would consider modern technology. And at the time, we were buffeted by snowstorms or rain, you know, just mild discomfort at all times. And those variations were always there. Like there was never a time when you could just take comfort for granted. And I fast forward to only about uh, 100 years ago, right? And we have light available at, at the flip of a switch, whereas day you know, daylight it has a natural cycle to it. We have heat available at the turn of a dial. And if effectively what we're doing is factoring out the natural variations of our environment and, and we're not we're understimulating the human body. And the body is primed to adapt to sort of a dazzling array of conditions. And 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 by 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 sort of pursuing this idea of comfort it actually makes our bodies weaker and weaker and weaker, and we need things that are more and more and more comfortable. You know, the bed you're sleeping on is not quite right, so you buy a new bed, and it's even softer or firmer or whatever it is. And you're, we're trying to find this, this almost impossible ideal uh, uh, where the environment um, takes care of our, uh, of our body. Uh, and, and, and so that we, so, but our, it's forcing our body not to work, and our body is designed to work. Washington State, where I live, has been particularly cold this winter, and I find I have been shivering quite a bit. Now, is that a good thing for me or a bad thing? Well, shivering's fine. That's a natural uh, response. It's actually good that you're in an environment that would trigger uh, a shiver response, um, because what, what shivering is is, is your muscles uh, moving in order to generate sort of frictive and heat, uh, just physical kinetic energy. Um, but there's other ways that our bodies also are able to heat themselves. Um, there's this tissue that every human 
is born with called brown fat or brown adipose tissue. And human infants who, which lack the uh, musculature to um, sort of shiver themselves warm uh, would all die if they didn't have uh, this brown adipose tissue. Uh, which, and what, what BAT does is it sucks white fat from your system and directly uh, uh, metabolizes it for heat energy. Uh, and it's very efficient at this. And, and that's how babies survive um, their early life. And, and if you're routinely exposed to cold environments, uh, you keep this uh, brown adipose tissue around in your body uh, for as long as you need it. But once you stop being cold, your body doesn't want to expend energy you know, maintaining this tissue, and it goes away. Um, so, so sorry, in terms of shivering, um, if, you, if you suppress a shiver response when you're, when you're in a cold area, you'll actually force your body to come up with a, met- a metabolic solution to uh, heating itself, which, which can be very beneficial. Would you then say that it's more beneficial for me to keep uh, the heating in my house at a much lower level than I'm accustomed to to be comfortable? Yes, I would. I would say that, that it's, nice, it's good to have, you know, if, if, what, if you just stay at like a constant 72 degrees, no matter what the temperature is outside, whether it's too hot or, or too cold, right, you, you're, you're not giving your body the chance to interact with its environment. You're keeping it basically in this, this cocoon that, that stops you from a very um, biologically profound human experience, uh, uh, something that is very important. If you think about it, you know, we're, the world is going through like an obesity epidemic, right? We have lots and lots of people who are overweight. We have diabetes, um, which is rampant. And the only other species, the only other animals in the world that are like chronically obese are our pets, right? If there's no chronically obese polar bear out there, right? It, it, it's, it, 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 the reason for this is it's partially because of, you know, obviously our, our diets are highly caloric and, and, and too easy, but also because we're constantly in eternal summer temperatures. We're, we're, we're constantly at this perfect heat range, but that's not what is actually outside of our window. And it's interesting. You know, there's this founding myth in, in the United States about, um, about the pilgrims who landed in North America, and they landed in the, the spit of land of Massachusetts right near Cape Cod. And when they got off their boat, they didn't meet any of the locals until um, until this one guy came up in the middle of the winter, and, and he was wearing a loincloth. And this is a Cape Cod winter. This is a freezing, freezing time. And he just sort of strolls up to them in a loincloth, and he says, you know, welcome, welcome, Englishmen. And the fact that he knew English at all is, is a very long and convoluted story. But he welcomed the, the pilgrims there, and, and they were so shocked that the first thing they did was offer him a coat. Because they're like, why would anyone be out here in a loincloth? But the thing is, the, the natives uh, of North America at that time were so accustomed to the natural variations that they didn't need these these insulating layers that we all have now, uh, and, and that that we use to sort of keep a, a barrier between us and the environment. Some of the listeners right now are probably thinking, well, I've got some pretty problematic symptoms that I'm confronting right now. seems to me sure. that if I allow myself to get cold, I might just get sicker. Would that reasoning be right or wrong? Well, it's hard to talk about any specific 
person's case, right? I mean, I think that, that we have a whole range of, of conditions and to know exactly where people come from is, is difficult and that's something beyond the purview of what I can say. But I will say that, I, that in the book, uh, I, I met several people who were using the Wim Hof method and using this idea that our bodies are primed for the environment that they're in to combat uh, a, a wide array of autoimmune illnesses, but also Parkinson's disease. Uh, and, you know, the idea here is that where we came from, we were, we were constantly exposed not only to the variations of the environment, but also a wide array of um, bacteria and viruses and just general things that were, that were coming into our body and that our bodies constantly had to resist a lot of external stimuli. And as we live now in this sort of cocoon of almost antiseptic environments, uh, in uh, very warm environments without much fluctuation, the systems that were meant to combat uh, those those problems are lying sort of dormant in us, right? We have this like very very strong autoimmune system, which, you know, to use a metaphor, is basically this predator running in around in our bodies. You know, predator in the sense of like macrophages and these sort of a killer T cells and things like that. Uh, and and if they're not given anything to do, this predator can sort of run amok. It can start attacking parts of the body. And, and think about any autoimmune illness, uh, whether it's arthritis or Crohn's disease, uh, where the body is literally attacking itself, what this training method uh, does is it gives that system, which is also connected to the fight-or-flight responses, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system, it gives that system something to do. It's like giving the predator a chew toy, uh, and so, so it doesn't have to go to attack itself. But, so that's how it works with autoimmune illnesses. But the, the man that I met who had Parkinson's, who was a man named Hans Spans, and you can find his Facebook page where he keeps those sort of a, a lot of updates. Uh, it's called Challenging Parkinson's, and it's, you, know, you can find it on Facebook. He's been using the method, and the way he described the condition to me is that he was diagnosed about, I think it's about 13 years ago now, and and he has these symptoms, you know, it, it like, like cramps in his muscles where, where, where his body, uh, his mind is not able to communicate with his limbs. And he ends up in, in sort of uh, you know, either cramped up. He's ex- he expressed to me that he had seizures at some point uh, um, with this. And, and he would take drugs initially, right? The doctor prescribed him a, a wide variety of drugs to, to increase either dopamine transmission or increase essentially the signal to his limbs. And he describes Parkinson's as basically him not, his mind not being able to communicate with his body. Uh, but he had this thing that was really interesting that he told me, is that you know, before I went to interview him, he said he had had a bad night where, um, where he, his condition was just, you know, horrible, and it was it was restricting. And he said that that sometimes when he's really really angry at the place where his body is, he'll start swearing and he'll start screaming and he'll he'll you know curse all sorts of things into his pillow. And sometimes that anger in his body um, will actually clear the signal to his limbs, and, and then that he'll go from sort of this cramped up, very immobile state, and just the strength of that emotion would clear, um, you know, would, would actually 
help him recover and be able to gain access to his body again. Now, I don't know how common this is among, um, among the people uh, who are listening to your radio. I'm just sort of repeating what he, what he um, told me. Uh, but he said that you know, swearing your symptoms into submission is also a very negative, very self-destructive thing. So what he found really interesting about the Wim Hof method is, in, is that he was able to like, jump into cold showers and take a cold shower every morning and, and jump into cold water uh, whenever he has access to it. Is, is he says that, that the neural signals that come from uh, jumping into water are very powerful. They sort of uh, constrict blood vessels and, and, and send a very powerful signal that then comes from his limbs to his brain. And he says that, that is one way that, that uh, Parkinson's, uh, you know, sort of is managed uh, for him. And what he has found, is, and, he, and he's tracked his drug uh, usage regimen, uh, you know, almost since he started, was first diagnosed with Parkinson's. And he said that initially there was always this resistance to the drugs he would get. You know, initially it would clear the symptoms, but over time the drugs would be less effective and then less effective and less effective. Uh, he says that, that with this method, in conjunction with the drugs, he's taking far less, far fewer drugs, uh, and the resistance seems to be going down. And at the same time, he's having more good hours uh, where, he's not, where he's able to access his body during the day. And so that, that's Hans's story. That's, that's, that's my experience, uh, particularly with Parkinson's, uh, in, in this book. How fascinating. Now, can you detail out the steps specifically that Hans takes? Does he take a cold shower each and every day? Does he turn the heat down in his house? Exactly what does he do? Sure. So... So he starts off, he says, in the morning while he's still in bed uh, by doing this breathing method that's part of the Wim Hof technique, which is um, sort of rapid, deep breaths. He says that he can barely move at this, at this point in his, uh, in his day. And so he'll, he'll do these rapid, deep breaths uh, that sound a little like... And the, the way the method is usually taught is you do about 30 of those breaths and then you blow, exhale all of the air out of your lungs and you hold your breath. Uh, and then you hold it for as long as you can. And then, you, uh, and then once you have to breathe, you then take a deep breath in and then you repeat that process, uh, gradually lengthening the amount of time that you're able to do the breath. Now, for me, what I do every morning is this sort of 30 breaths of hyperventilation and then I hold my breath for a minute with no air in my lungs. I let all the air out. I hold my, hold my breath. And then uh, the next time I'll do 30 breaths, I'll hold my breath for two minutes. And the third time I'll hold it for three minutes. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm assuming that, that Hans has some variation of this technique. Uh, he tells me that it takes him about an hour to get through his whole routine. And when he's done with that, then he'll jump into a cold shower, as cold as his faucet will go. And that will sort of clear him and get him ready for the day. But you should definitely so, have Hans on because I'm sure he would love to reach out to, to your audience here. We will do that. We will have Hans on the program where he can detail out exactly what he does each and every day. Do you happen to know if he turns the heat down in his house? Uh, I don't actually know what he does with his thermostat. Uh, I, I, I seem to remember it being reasonably warm in his house when I was there. 
I think that the thing that is more important uh, in relation to the way he describes it is not the constant sort of when, when, when the thermostat's constantly down, that's sort of like a low grade um, work on your, I mean, on your, uh, on your ability to resist the cold, right? That, that's sort of a, a metabolic sort of low grade challenge that always happens. But when you take a cold shower, it's, it's sort of a more immediate response that triggers your fight and flight, fight or flight responses. And I think that that is probably more important. So sort of that, 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 uh, that, that lower temperature and, and that stronger response, I think that's more important for him and how he recovers than, than the sort of the metabolic um, burning more calories by just being in a colder environment um, side of things. But again, this is something that, that Hans should probably uh, say for himself. How fascinating. So as a person begins to engage this particular approach, taking cold flowers and doing the breath kind of exercises that you mentioned that you also do, are they then enhancing and strengthening their immune system so they're less likely to get sick? Uh, you're certainly working on your immune system. And, and it seems <clears> – <throat> so for me, I'm a pretty healthy guy. I don't actually have – a lot of underlying medical problems, uh, and that's just you know my own luck. Uh, except for one thing, that ever since I was a child, I would get uh, uh, mouth ulcers, these uh, canker sores, and for me they were particularly lousy. I mean, I, they would become the size of a dime. Uh, which, for those of you who are not in America, we're talking something that's about a centimeter um, wide, which is very painful in my mouth. And it would make it so it would be very difficult to talk, very difficult to smile, and I'd usually be pretty miserable while it would, would stay around. It would hang around for about a week or sometimes two weeks before it would heal naturally. And I would get them uh, as often as once a month. So I'd have a ton of, the, of this sort of just pain in my mouth. And since doing the Wim Hof method, uh, I can probably count on, you know, I can probably think of two canker sores that I've had uh, since starting it, and they both resolve very quickly. So, uh, you know, and I, and I think what, what these, these sores are are sort of immune, like autoimmune sores. They might have sort of so a, uh, you know, they might be related to the, the herpes virus, um, and, but, but, you know, sort of the immune system triggers it, and then sort of they, they expand and get, and get much worse. And, and those have gone away from me. In terms of like bacterial infections and things like that, I haven't really been sick very much, uh, uh, but I can't say for sure that it's, it's, it's because of the Wim Hof method because I'm not dosing myself with bacteria on a regular basis. This is your host, Robert Rogers. My guest today is Scott Carney, investigative journalist and anthropologist and author of the recently released book, What Doesn't Kill Us. In summary then, Scott, it sounds like you went out to Poland with a very specific targeted trip to dispel the idea that Wim Hof was promoting, and what you've done is you've embraced that in your own life, and it sounds like you do the Wim Hof method, and it sounds like also, though I don't think you've mentioned it, you must also take cold showers. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, I roll in the snow. I, I find – and my favorite thing to do is to find like a very cold mountain stream or something, you know, like the polar bear plunge and jump into that water and then feel this great endorphin rush <clears throat> that comes in after you're cold. 
and yeah, I do it as much as I can because it, 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 you know, initially when you first think about doing this, it's a very intimidating and a very scary prospect, right? You know, no one wants to go, say, put their feet in, in snow, uh, you know, their bare feet in snow. It just doesn't sound like a pleasant experience. But once you, you, you realize that literally it's not going to kill you, right? that, that, that danger is really just a fear that your mind puts in place, uh, because it can't really assess where the dangers are. Um, then, once you get into that environment, you re- I, I, yeah, I realize that my body can resist it and actually feels great. And then, and, and it, it it starts dumping all of these like uh, norepinephrine and epinephrine and adrenaline and cortisol, all all sort of the, sort of running around the body. And it's this it's this high that comes with it. And you know, you start your day doing these practices, and the day just feels better. It's sort of like a fr- what a friend of mine uh, used to say, and I'm sure he stole it from somewhere, is that you know, once he, st- he, he always had trouble you know, getting motivation to do things. And he said, once I started doing hard things, things that actually challenged me, everything else seemed so much easier. And it's the same thing with this you know, ice water. It's, it's very hard mentally to think that you're going to do that and, and to give yourself that stress. But then once you do it, 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 it makes the whole day sort of brighter. Scott Carney, I must say you are an inspiration to me. I learned about this particular method several years ago, and I've been too much of a weenie to take a cold shower. <laughs> you have given me uh, the, you uh, are the strength because... and the motivation to go do that now. <laughs> so I want to thank you personally for letting me know that, wait a minute, wait a minute, there really is this incredible surge of uh, wonderfully positive energy. Many listeners that I've had uh, on this show uh, who've been guests talk about issues they've had with infections, in particular the Lyme infection, which also has the same symptoms as Parkinson's. And they've really struggled with being able to be able to, you know, address that particular problem. It sounds like, and I'm just guessing here, maybe doing this particular approach might be a backdoor way of being able to facilitate the healing of that particular problem. Uh, that's interesting you mentioned Lyme disease. It, it's not a condition that I know a tremendous amount about. Uh, I, I obviously have some friends who have had it. I grew up in the Northeast in America, and there's Lyme disease all over there. Um, but, I, but I will say that, so at the end of the book, I, I climb Mount Kilimanjaro uh, in uh, basically just a swimsuit and uh, hiking boots and a hat. And, and I get up to uh, 18,500 some odd feet, and we do it in, uh, in a, a pace that's about five times faster than almost anyone does. And, and the reason we were doing this sort of ridiculously fast feet uh, is because we wanted to show that this breathing method of, of rapid, um, you know, rapid breathing uh, and maintaining that, that, that pace of breathing the entire way up would help counteract acute mountain sickness, which is the altitude sickness that, that is the reason that only about 60% of people who even try Mount Kilimanjaro ever make it up to the top. They mostly get sick and, and will go down. Now, because of the pace we were going at, uh, the mountaineers I spoke to uh, said that we'd have a 70 to 80% failure rate in our group uh, and that we may have a person die. So it's a, it's a pretty intensive uh, um, 
uh, experiment that we were doing with, with a fair amount of danger. But and this comes back to Lyme disease. One of the people in the group who, who went up the mountain with me um, had Lyme disease and had been using Wim Hof's method uh, for let's see, at least a year uh, um, to treat his Lyme disease. And you know, he was able to meet that physical challenge and get up to the top of the mountain. And uh, so, yes, I mean, I think there there is a certainly precedent, and there are certainly people using these techniques uh, for that that particular infection. Uh, Garney, tell us more about your book. What doesn't kill us? Um, <laughs> that's a very general question. It's a great book. The cover is mostly blue. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean, <clears throat> I meet lots of, 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 of different people using both the breathing method and the meditation method and uh, the cold exposure to do, you know, to, to really unlock the potentials of their body. And, and, and it, it mostly emerges through an evolutionary lens. You know, we came from somewhere where our ancestors were very strong because the environment was very harsh. And... And because we, li- we, we live in a, a, a relatively not harsh environment, our bodies don't have to meet the challenges that they, they, they once, that they are capable of meeting. So, you know, I think it's important to think about environmental exposure and the environments that, that, that we are in as a type of exercise. Like, it's not just that it's that, you know, the, the, for, for decades, maybe hundreds of years, we, we've generally said that the key to health has been uh, diet and exercise. It's about what you eat and then how you use that what you eat to to be healthy. And if you if you eat too much and you don't exercise, you're going to get fat. And 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 this has sort of been the this sort of guiding paradigm for a very long time. But what I'm arguing, what I'm putting forth in this book, is that there's a third equally important pillar on what health rests on, which is the space that you actually inhabit. And and things like rolling in the snow or taking a cold shower or, or giving yourself these natural variations are like lifting weights for these unconscious uh, autonomic processes that we all have. And it's a way to interact with your, your, subcon- it's not subconscious, your unconscious autonomic functions. And you know, if, you have a, if you have a stimulus that comes in from the environment. And there's a predictable human response. And the cold, uh, there's several, but one of them is vasoconstriction. So you have all these muscles that line your vasculature. Uh, um, They're inside your veins. And the natural response to cold is for those veins to constrict and put blood into the core of your body. And this is because, you know, if you you keep your internal organs warm, you'll survive and you can lose an extremity and still, you know, pass on your genes and reproduce. That's a basic mammalian response. But if you're never in extreme cold, if you never touch freezing water or snow or sort of a, a, any sort of extreme environment, those muscles, uh, and we're talking something like 30,000 miles of veins or 60,000 miles of, of veins and arteries in your, in your body, if they never get used, that stuff gets weak. So actually going to the cold is li- like literally uh, lifting weights for your circulatory system. And I don't know how this works for, for people with Parkinson's because, you know, if you're having trouble communicating with your limbs because, because you know, you, the, the signals aren't firing and making it into, into your extremities, is the way Hans Spahn 
as I understand what he was saying, then but maybe those triggers from the environment do interact with the limbs, and that's how he gets, gets some control back. I'm your host, Robert Rogers, from the wonderful website, parkinsonsrecovery.com. My guest today is Scott Carney, investigative journalist who is the recent author of What Doesn't Kill Us. Scott, you've basically been engaged in a number of fascinating projects, I have a a rather different question to ask you. The title of your book is What Doesn't Kill Us. Do you have any answer to the question, what does kill us? Uh, Well, I mean, lots of things kill us, right? I just felt like calling a book What Kills Us probably would get rid of my readership too fast. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a good guess. Uh, I mean, you know, lots of things kill us. I mean, I, the, the underlying thing here is that comfort kills us, right? Is that is that this this striving to be static and not uh, interacting with the world around us? That is one of the things that kills us. Not realizing that we're part of this world that we inhabit and that we can't tr- we can't actually insulate ourselves uh, from the the variations of the planet. That is another thing that kills us. Uh, but you know, you know, we we come from a, we we have a very strong inner biology. We have a very strong species, and and that you know, I don't want people to get killed, right? I want people to find that they have this strength in them. That's that's the goal of the book. In summary, comfort is just not all that it's cracked up to be. Exactly. It, I mean, it's it's so alluring, isn't it, to be comfortable? It, it, and it's so instinctual. That, that we want, you know, who doesn't want to be comfortable? Who says they want to be uncomfortable? It's, it's sort of like a ridiculous idea. Um, but it's only because we have the ability to, to be comfortable now. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was looking at this really old uh, medical textbook, in, uh, uh, and, and I don't actually quote it in the book, but it, it was something from, I think, the 1860s. And the, the doctor who was writing it was talking about the effect that the cold has on the human body. And he was like, you know, everyone in, in I think he was writing in, in France, everyone in Paris feels that 60 degrees is, is a fantastically normal temperature. And I was like, 60 degrees? These days, everyone feels like 72 is, or 73 is, is room temperature. But actually, room temperature itself has changed just in 160 years. Like what we think of as comfort has changed. I found that fascinating. That is fascinating. You have a website, Scott. What's the address? It's scottcarney.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Uh, I have an author page. There's a a page for the book, What Doesn't Kill Us. I think it's What Doesn't Kill Us book is the URL there. I'm on Twitter. I'm on all the social media that you could find. and any, Any even modest Googling will connect you to it. But there's the also address? an audio book. If you particularly oh, an audio like book. My, if you like my voice, the sweet, sweet, dulcet tones of my voice, um, <laughs> I've got a, an audio book out. You can get it on Audible and iBooks and all those places. Wonderful. So that address for listeners is the following, www.scottcarney.com, and that's spelled S-C-O-T-T. C A R N E Y 
dot C O M. So what's up with you here in the coming months, Scott? Uh, I mean, probably a lot of radio interviews and podcasts. Uh, um, you know, it's going to be, it's, it, I'm, I'm trying to get the message out about the book. I'm trying to tell people and get the idea across that the environment is important. And then after that, we'll see. I'm sure that I'll be uh, get involved on another writing project uh, sooner or later. Well, this book sounds absolutely, totally, and completely fascinating. And so people can acquire the book, it sounds like, from a number of different sources. Uh, if they go to Amazon, they can get it in bookstores from your website. Would that be correct? Yes, and it'll be, it'll, it'll be all over the world. Uh, but, yeah, you can download it from my website. Uh, if you're in the United States, it'll be at bookstores everywhere. Uh, if you're in the Commonwealth, uh, it'll be released, I think, at the end of the month. So and and it's going to be translated. I think right now the it's nine languages, but it's looking like there'll be more. Oh, it sounds wonderful. Now, if people would like to be able to get in touch with you, how should they go about doing that? Probably best to to follow my Facebook page, Scott Carney Author. Uh, I have an author page, and uh, you can just like that and and you know send me messages, and I and I get that there. Sounds fantastic. Well, Scott Carney, for such a fascinating book that will revolutionize people's attitudes about the meaning of what comfort is doing for them and not doing for them, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for the thousands of listeners of Parkinson's Recovery for being taking the time to be on the show today. Great. Thank you so much for having me, and I do wish uh, every one of your listeners uh, you know, a, a journey to health. Thank you so much, Scott. It's been a pleasure and an excitement to realize that now I've got the courage to be able to take a cold shower after two years of contemplating that. So that's what's happening, everyone, on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and you guessed it, all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact that you have listened to this fascinating interview with investigative journalist and author Scott Carney, that you indeed are on the road to recovery. As you take a cold shower in the future weeks, uh, let me know how it goes, and I'll do the same for you. This is your host, Robert Rogers, founder of Parkinson's Recovery. We look forward to connecting with you on the next radio show soon. May you have a magnificent New Year 2017. Good day. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.